Hello, Petey. Can you hear me? If you can't, you're in trouble. My culture is based on freedom and self-determination. Freedom is irrelevant. Self-determination is irrelevant. You must comply. That's right, boys. Mondo cool. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. My plans have followed a path unpredicted by the union of NAR and GDI. I want the people of America to be able to work less for the government and more for themselves. Historical Diversions History Over Drinks The aircraft carrier is among the most sophisticated engineering marvels developed in the 20th century. It would be hard to understate the importance of a mobile aircraft runway at sea when naval and air superiority are the difference makers in large-scale worldwide conflicts. There have been various aircraft carrier designs proposed. My favorite is Project Habakkuk in World War II. In order to preserve steel, a mixture of ice and wood pulp would be used instead as the main construction material for a massive supercarrier, a literal floating island in the middle of the Atlantic that could be used as an airbase. Not surprisingly, this design was deemed not feasible, as the cost of one of these carriers would dwarf the cost of entire fleets of ships. On top of that, it also might not have been seaworthy. A bit of an issue if you want everyone on it to live. Another design, not as fanciful as Project Habakkuk, but no less amazing, is the nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. The Nimitz class of aircraft carriers were the largest warships afloat until 2017. Their nuclear reactors could power ships for decades without refueling. These massive vessels are over a thousand feet long, displacing over a hundred thousand tons in the water and have crew complements comparable to small towns. The USS Nimitz, the lead ship of her class, was launched in the 1970s and still sails today. In the aftermath of the first Gulf War, the Nimitz carrier group was assigned to enforce no-fly zones in Iraq during Operation Southern Watch. The Nimitz is also famous for duties falling outside the norm of a typical military vessel. The ship was depicted in the science fiction movie The Final Countdown, and the film was actually shot on board the ship. Has anyone seen it? It was also reported by the New York Times in 2017 that in November 2004, the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group encountered anomalous aerial vehicles, or AAVs, while conducting drills in the Pacific Ocean. These AAVs, nicknamed Tic Tacs, appeared on radar and thermal imaging, and fighters were actually scrambled to intercept them. By the way, AAVs are just another word for UFOs, without the alien spacecraft baggage attached to it. For now, anyway. Our next narrative episode will cover a famous UFO case, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Chris John served aboard the Nimitz from 1993 to 1997. He didn't see UFOs or film movies. He was a torpedo man during Operation Southern Watch. He sailed around the world on the Nimitz, and his story is a fascinating one. In addition to his military service, Chris John is also a longtime resident of Burnsville, Minnesota. His involvement in government goes back several years, and in 2022, he ran for Burnsville City Council. While he didn't win, it was a very tight race. He is running again in 2024. He and I have very differing views on the role of government, and in this day and age, having a respectful conversation about politics is almost unheard of. But we managed to pull it off. Without further ado, Chris John. So in my introduction, which I totally wrote ahead of this and absolutely didn't push off until the day before the podcast drops, <laughs> with me today is Chris John. And you grew up in Circle Pines, Minnesota. And for context, you graduated uh, high school in 1993. Yep. Uh, going through high school, did you know what you wanted to do when you grew up? Actually, I did. Um, it all comes from the Brady Bunch. Uh, Craig and I were going to be architects. There was no doubt about it. And that probably started, I want to say, around sixth grade. We were going to be architects. That's what we were going to do, just like Mike Brady. And we we would draw designs of houses and things. Not buildings, but houses was our big thing. Did all our high school courses 
based on architecture, whether that be uh, we had some CAD classes and there was an architectural design class. It was absolutely perfect. If I, if I had a major in high school, it would have been architecture. Uh, Craig went on to become an architect. I came to a point where I went, huh, there's got to be some guy that, that does the, you know, how much does it cost to build a house or, you yeah. know, the materials, cost of materials and things like that. And that's where my interest kind of waned a little bit. And I ended up being an accountant, so it makes sense in the end. But yeah, yeah in high school, I was going to be an architect. Now, so as as you just said, you're obviously not an architect. Nope. But one of the things you decided to do, and actually what your uh, twin brother Craig also decided to do, was to join the Navy. Was there a particular reason you guys chose the Navy over, like, the Air Force or the Army? And please don't tell me it was because of the Village People song. <laughs> No, it had nothing to do with the village people. Uh, so when we got to about our junior year, I say we, I mean Craig and I, um, we got to our junior year of high school, senior year. Uh, my cousin Mitch, who lived down in St. Paul, he was, he came and lived with us for a few months before he, you know, he, he ended up going to the Navy and he went to the recruiter and it was, he was huge in the Navy. His dad was in the Navy. So I think that had a lot to do with it. And, oh, man, he was pushing. He said, you guys should do this. This is great. And it pays for college. And, and that was really the big, big push was, you know, the paying for college part with the GI Bill. And so I, my football career wasn't going anywhere, <laughs> <laughs> and which is even more funny if you saw me play. Uh, and I, I Figured, you know what, this is a great opportunity. I mean, you get paid for college. You can grow up a little bit before you go to college. And you get to see the world. And that was that was probably the biggest push. Because if you think about the Navy, you're going off on the ship. I didn't realize how much the Army or the Marines or Air Force, they'd actually travel or if they'd be all stateside. And I really wanted to see the world. You know, what other opportunity do you have to do that? So um, that's why the Navy. So when we talked off air that uh, you mentioned that it wasn't, you didn't graduate high school and then go into the Navy, you did what was called delayed entry. Mm -hmm. What does that kind of mean? And how did that kind of work with still going to school? So delayed entry program, when, when you sign up and go into the military, you're really signing up for eight years. It doesn't matter how long your quote unquote hitches, your, uh, that would be your active duty state. So I had four-year active duty. That's pretty standard. There's people that had three-year active duty, then would do five years in the what's called the um, inactive reserves. Um, so uh, four years of active, and then there was another four years of inactive reserves for me, which meant that uh, you, you were brought, you were on call if needed, but you weren't really in the military after you completed your four years. Well, with the delayed entry program, when I signed up, I was just getting started in my senior year of high school, or just before it, actually. And uh, we were able to do the first year of inactive reserves, basically, before starting my active duty. So then I only had three years of inactive reserves after that. In the delayed entry program, they, they set it up because I, I think they want to make sure you can continue going in because there was other kids that were that were all vested into this and then ended up not going into the active duty part. Uh, they had us come in once a month. We'd go to the recruiting office. It was almost like being a part of the reserves, if you would. We wouldn't really drill that much. There was a couple times where they had to do drills or things, but most of the time we just, you know, we had lunch with the guys or, you know, we just talked about, you know, you have any questions about what you're getting yourself into, that sort of a thing. Yeah. It was, it was kind of a, a great way to go so that we could kind of ease in. And, you know, I finished my senior year of high school during that time. Um, and then when I went active duty, we had to do the whole swearing and that ceremony, the whole nine yards again, went through, you know, all that fun stuff. So with delayed entry, is that something that, um, had you signed, like, as, as one of my friends would say, did you sign your life away at that point? Or was that something where it's kind of like, almost like a probation where it's like a, you know, Hey, I'm planning on doing this, but it's not the end of the world if I leave sort of thing or was it more serious than that no it was it was more like and i don't know if the navy is going to get mad at me talking about this but <laughs> people could get out of it not too relatively easily it wasn't it wasn't like you were stuck um you did sign on to something but i believe there was probably a clause somewhere where you could get out before you went actual active duty okay when you go active duty then all of a sudden you know everything is is for real and 
you get out and you get other kinds of discharges than what the you know the honorable discharge that makes sense um one of my friends and actual previous guest uh john fury listeners can check out his history over drinks episodes in our archives he ended up being in the national guard serving the full 20 years joining the navy while you're still in high school did you think that was something that you were considering at all doing as a career or i guess in a different way like what was your primary motivator in joining um other than like seeing the world like the navy in particular did you think you were going to be doing this for a while or did you think i'll serve my time and then i'll get out i thought i would serve my time and get out it was uh it was a means to an end as far as well i wouldn't say it wasn't it was more than just getting college money. I, it, you know, you become very patriotic when you join the military, and and you think about those things. You know, you, you're doing, you're taking your turn to, you know, defend the nation, et cetera, be ready to defend the nation if necessary. So I would say that, but I didn't have any aspirations to go for a full career. I, there was certainly, certainly um, bait out there. People saying, you know, what, you do 20 years and you get this lifetime of you know, you can retire early. So that definitely, I mean, it crossed my mind. Don't, don't get me wrong. But for the most part, my thought process is go for four years, do my time, get the money for the GI Bill and be able to go to school, you know, as advertised um, and get the adventure out of it, see the world, that sort of thing. Even though he said not that part, but you know what? Yeah, <laughs> it, it was definitely, it was definitely a part of it. It was definitely worth it. Um. And we, we talked earlier that um, your uh, brother Craig also started off kind of doing the same thing, but you both ended up taking kind of different paths in the Navy. Was that something that you guys had anticipated? Because especially growing up, you from from what I understand, you guys pretty much did like a lot of things together. <laughs> uh, you know, was it something that, oh, did you guys think you were going to be serving on the same uh, vessel? Or was it something that you figured... Uh, we'll probably end up doing different things, but you know what? We're going to be adults and that's what it is. It is interesting what, you know, and, and it goes back to the psychology of being a twin. Um, growing up, you know, there's a lot of people that say, well, I wish I had a twin brother or a twin sister or whatever, but uh, there, there's goods and there's bads about it. Uh, one of the, the bad parts about it is that you don't really be, get that independence. You don't break away and, and find out who you really are in comparison with you as a collective group. Uh, it was a good opportunity for us to kind of do that. I missed them a whole lot, obviously, and we talked quite a bit, you know, before cell phones and everything. So it, it was it was literally at pay phones. But um, it was it was a good opportunity for us to kind of break away a little and find out who we were as independent individuals. Uh, when we joined, we joined together. Uh, you take what's called an ASFAB test. And what that does is it, 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 uh, it allows you to find out what your strengths are, what, what roles and what jobs within the Navy are going to be best for you. Um, we had similar ones. Craig decided he was going to go the quartermaster route, which is the, the guy that navigates the ship, basically. He's the one that uh, he or she is the person that would line out, you know, give the ship's path or um, chart out the ship's path, you know, around islands through certain trenches, things like that. And it was a great, great um, role for him. And I went with uh, Torpedoman's Mate, which was in the weapons department. It had everything to do with the torpedoes. Um, not necessarily, I had that electrician's mate, which was really surprising to me because things I didn't really deal with as a kid, but I guess I, I scored strongly on those. In the, so C was the answer on those questions uh, for the ASVAB. But, uh, and I thought, well, that would be interesting. I'll figure that, you know, I'll go to TMA school. Um, when we went through the physical, Craig went through, he passed without a problem. They had problems with my feet. They said I was too flat-footed. And I actually got denied at first. And it put a delay on me. Um, they said that uh, my feet are too flat. Um, I can only join the Navy, but we'll we'll let you do it. But you have to send a waiver in through Washington D.C. So they literally took pictures of my feet <laughs> and sent them to Washington D.C. And then I got the waiver. So Craig started in the Navy in July of 1993. And I didn't get in uh, as active duty, and I didn't get in till um, 
August. Now, coincidentally, both the QMA school, Quartermaster A school, and the TMA school are both in Orlando. So we both went through Orlando um, boot camp and A school. However, Craig was a month ahead of me. So if you think about it, now Craig's out there. He's my twin brother. He's out there. And he's marching around Orlando. And I'm marching with my own company. And my company commander has absolutely no idea that I have a twin brother out there. <laughs> <laughs> I was so worried that, I mean, there was one day he came, Craig came walking past us. Um, and I was so worried that the company commander was going to see him and start yelling. at him. <laughs> It never happened, but I thought I, I, he wasn't paying attention enough anyway. Uh, that definitely would have been funny, though. That would have definitely been worth the money. Um, but there would be like, it was like Elvis sightings. It said, oh, I saw your twin brother today, sort of a thing. Yeah. And he was a month ahead of me, which is, if you think about it, like if you look at school, you know, somebody's a year ahead of you, they're, they're oh, wow, they've been there forever. Yeah. <laughs> they're more advanced. Yeah. So, and then we went to A school together. Basically, we, uh, our A school, we were at the same building, living quarters building. Um, so I'd see him a little bit. So it was, it was like a gradual release from, you know, being, being tied together at the hip to being kind of separated and, and, you know, shipping off our own ways. Then when Craig finally got his orders, his A school is a little bit shorter than mine. Craig ended up going out to, I think he went to San Diego first. He ended up jumping all over the country because he went on with, it was a, it was a brand new ship, the USS McCain, which was a brand new destroyer at the time. So he uh, he ended up going through a few different um, different bases, and then um, I was at A school for another I don't know month and a half before I shipped out. So now, and this is going to be this is going to be kind of a weird question. Yeah. Was the flat-footed business was that because hey we have particular standards on like footwear or that. Uh, because like when we think of like military or at least as a civilian, think of military, first thing you do is you're going into boot camp. Is it, was it one of the things that it's like, oh, your feet are too flat. You're not going to be able to like do any of the exercises or is it just, this is the requirement and you don't meet it. So you need a particular waiver to get beyond that. Uh, it, what it, was the reasoning on that? Yeah, that's a good question. It's funny. Um, so when you go through the physical, uh, you go to a, what's called MEPS. It's no, I don't I don't know what the acronym stands for, to be honest. I, I think it's enlistment personnel or something like that. It's downtown Minneapolis, and all the branches are go through one MEPS. So when I went through the physical, I'm going with people going to Air Force, Marines, Army, whatever. And we would go, and we would uh, all just go through the physical. The doctor had absolutely no idea what branch I was going. It was probably on my record, but not necessarily looking at that. Mm. And so uh, I think they were more concerned about marching long distances which is funny because I can walk forever, uh, no problems. But they're, they're always looking for something, I think. And mm. I don't know if they have a quota or <laughs> what the deal was. But um, he said that I was walking on the insides of my feet and that, you know, I, I don't think you'll be good for it. I was really upset about that because at, at that point, you know, that was my trajectory. I was going to go to the Navy, go to the college. Now what am I going to do, you know, for that one month that I was, you know, you know what, you you didn't pass the physical. Craig had probably the same walking patterns. I just got the wrong doctor, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, or it's like, and this this guy is now like, what is this guy going to do? Like destroy my life because my feet are... Right, know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, give him, give him credit. He said, well, you can go in the Navy, I suppose. Because I, I did bring that up. I won't be marching anywhere. I'm in the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So... Um, so you mentioned uh, that especially, well, we just talked a little bit about, uh, at least like for me, it's like everyone kind of has the impression of like what a boot camp is, where it's like the drill sergeant's yelling at you, you're, you know, he's running you down, uh, you're doing a lot of push-ups and running and whatnot, but that's usually like that kind of media is kind of based on depictions of like what the army is or, you know, or Marine, or Marine Corps, or something like that. Is like the boot camp the same experience like for the Navy or is like, you know, with basic being like the same for everything or is basic Navy training different than kind of basic Air Force or basic Marine or something like that? That's a great question. I don't know because I haven't been to Air Force or Marines. Uh, but what point. I can tell you, 
what I can tell you is if you watched Full Metal Jacket, that mm. boot camp is very accurate. Um, and it, it's funny that that you say that because all those things you were saying, you know, they're yelling at you all the time and making you do um, check. Uh, you're doing push-ups all the time, check. You're um, always constantly being harassed, check. Those are all things that, that occur. But they're also doing is they're also giving you training. We go, uh, probably the, the most um, understated part of boot camp is going to the different classes. So a lot of your days are spent in classrooms where you're learning about different aspects in the Navy. You know, what what are these different ranks? What does what does a ship look like? What is what are the different floors labeled? Um, what are the different jobs within the Navy? Those types of things. So you go through a lot of classes and you don't get a lot of sleep. So you you go to bed at a certain time, they wake you up, you have absolutely no idea what time it is because you don't have a watch, you don't have a clock. They just wake you up, they tell you to get on the line when you wake up, which is just a crack in a tile basically where two tile pieces come together. That's your line, that's where your feet are supposed to be setting. You're supposed to be at attention when we say get on the line. And when you you're woke up in the morning, it's you know, wake up, wake up, everybody up, out of the bed, out of bed, go, go, go. It's, it's alarm, it's jump, <clears throat> it's to get you prepared for anything that could happen, you know, in the military, you know, how quickly you have to go. And then um, they tell you, okay, you got this much time to get ready, get dressed. So you, you got to get dressed. You got to make your, your bunk, what you do with your bunk mate, basically you make each other's beds and you do that in two minutes and you learn how to do things really quickly yeah. and really organized. <clears throat> and then they march you outside you line up outside, you know exactly what you're supposed to do because you've done it every day. Um, and then you march somewhere and sometimes you march to the dining hall, which is great. Sometimes you march to the grinder, which is where you practice your, your marching skills. Or, you know, sometimes you're, you're going to do some, um, exercises in the morning where you do for a run, you can do some push-ups and sit-ups and things like that. Um, if you ever get yourself in trouble, you get on the line and they have you do push-ups and they'll, you know, up down up it, it, it's the sing song stuff or you know um eight counts or you know all kinds of fun things they can make you do and i've done all of them there's pictures of me in the we get like a it's almost like a little yearbook there's pictures of me you know sweating because <laughs> i'm in orlando florida in august in full length pants two sets of socks i mean we're well you know well dressed it's really hot there but yeah doing a lot of a lot of exercises, a lot of, um, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, and all that fun stuff. Because, you know, it wouldn't even be something really big we get ourselves in trouble for, but mm. get yourself in trouble pretty easily. Yeah. We are Those, just out of high school. So, yeah, look at yeah. look at someone the wrong way, and then it's like, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Drop and, drop and give me 20. Give me you 20. Know. Oh, that happened a few times. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Say the wrong thing to the company commander. You're doing push-ups, and it, and it would be completely, you know, not anything that you mean to say but or meant it that way but it's all in how they, they decide to interpret it now is that something i've i've heard the phrase the phraseology before that it's they're wanting to break you so then that they can build you back up again yeah uh, was that kind of the feeling where it was like okay they're literally doing this just to see if like well well one because they can and two because it's <laughs> like all right at the end of this you know if I didn't have discipline, I'm going to have discipline now. If I, you know, wasn't following orders before, I'm following orders now because, you know, because of this. Was that kind of like the attitude that it's like, all right, I have to kind of rethink the way that I think the world works kind of sort of thing? <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and it, it's it's also funny that you say it that way because I, I remember the breakdown part. I don't know so much about the build up. <laughs> However, <laughs> it got you as you're drinking. Sorry. <laughs> That's all <good>. but <laughs> It's uh, history over drinks after all, folks. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, as we were um, getting broken down, you got to remember that some of these kids come from really bad situations, whether they come from, you know, inner city gangs, that type of thing where, you know, they're used to talking back or being able to um, or, you know, other kids that come from households where they're, you know, they were single kids and they were sort of they were kind of spoiled. Yeah. So it, it is a reality check for sure. And I think I think you're right. I think what they're trying to do is trying to weed out, you know, 
the people that will be able to handle what needs to happen on the next level because there are times when you're in the military whether you know you're on a ship or you're you deployed you know out on the field you have to be able to move quickly you have to be able to take orders and understand them and not they have to be able to trust that you will do what what they tell you to do and and you you can't really talk back because you just have to do it and and there's some really difficult situations out there especially when you talk about being on a battlefield that you know you're going to have to put yourself in danger and they got to be able to trust that you'd be the person that would be able to do that and it's important um whether or not you have to actually get in that situation who knows but if you do they got to make sure they got the right people yeah well and kind of moving beyond kind of like the the basic basic training um i would imagine that at least like especially being in the navy um training involved would have to uh deal with a lot of water a lot of all right if you're going to be sailing in an ocean uh one of the things i i can only imagine like if you're a submariner or even just something where it's like all right uh and the ship can sink uh-huh. and then you know might have a uh, a situation like the indianapolis where it gets torpedoed ship goes down you have maybe 15 minutes and now you're in the pacific ocean with thousands of other people and now sharks happen because no one knows you're out there and who knows how long you're going to be out there for i i wouldn't imagine that sharks were probably part of the training but was that something that uh that you guys had to essentially like deal with that reality like fairly quickly or was that something that was like all right we've gotten beyond the basics now here's some navy specific things that you're having to deal with oh yeah absolutely uh, the, the swimming pool was involved quite a bit um came later on I was surprised at how many people were joining the Navy couldn't swim or didn't have any interest in learning to swim really well (laughs) you know you know what this is about right yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we had to do some things where um and granted that you know so the Navy uniform is different now than when I was in we had what was called the dungarees which is the bell-bottom jeans you know and the blue shirts and the you Mm. know the white Popeye hats, those types of things. Mm-hmm. And all those things are, it's funny enough, those things are designed to float as flotation devices. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. So the jeans are set up with the bell bottoms so that you can get them over your boots and then you can tie them off and then you put air in them and then you can use them as a flotation device. Huh. The hat is designed so that when you flip over the, you know, the um, brim, you can gather air and then it can kind of float on there huh. i don't know if it's a great flotation it does work <laughs> i mean because i had to do it but yeah those are those are things that aren't advertised in it now they, they were in the um with something i wish we would have been able to wear because we look kind of goofy in those dungarees i thought <laughs> but the the camel you know the usual military gear the the fatigues you see for most most branches and i don't know if they have the same techniques or if that's even really warranted anymore but um and we, we would do drills where we had to be fully dressed, boondockers and everything, boondockers are the shoes or the boots you wear, uh, and jump into the pool and have to um, wade water for 10 minutes. Mm. That was that was a big skill you had to do. Um, I was one of the best swimmers, better swimmers, you know, the group. I had swimming lessons as a kid, so that, mm. I mean, that obviously helped. And um, so I, I was shocked by that. I didn't think I would be one of the best, better swimmers, but I ended up, it was the the case i was a guy from minnesota come on yeah <laughs> but you know we we do have the lakes i suppose but yeah and i it was an important valuable thing to be able to do that obviously um and it's important to have when you're out in the middle of the ocean exactly because if you're you know and i can tell you from being out in the middle of the pacific there is nothing around at points all you see is water all the way around you so that can if you, if you think about it can be really intimidating yeah well we've been on we've been on cruise ships together right. and especially in the dead of night when we're not near a port mm-hmm. it's dark it's very dark and you look down and even with the light of the ship you look down and it's like that is that is deep yeah and that is dark and that is scary the more you think about it uh is that something now, especially like kind of going beyond, uh, kind of going beyond the basics? Did they get you on a ship right away to train you, or was it pretty much everything is done, um, more or less classroom setting, or more or less, uh, you know, kind of on site? But then, okay, after you've been in the pool enough, or oh, you've been on the shore enough, 
then did they assign you to a ship or was it kind of a mix of that? So, so in basic training, they had like, it was called the blue jacket. It was like a mock-up ship they had out, um, just out in the field. And it was basically just, uh, half a ship, if you will, like a toy ship. If you, mm. um, you climb on board, you learn how to do the whole, um, permission to come aboard sort of a thing and all the, all the, I don't know how to say it, the ceremonial things you do, mm. salute the flag, salute the, you know, the officer of the deck, you know, request permission to come aboard, those sort of things. Uh, those are the things we learned, um, more of a classroom type thing, but you don't see a ship until, the, the, I was in the Navy a good six, seven months before I went and saw a ship. Okay. Um, because, yeah, we were in boot camp in Orlando, uh, and then uh, A school, my A school. Some some people do go through different programs. Like Craig, his A school was only a month and a half. Other people go through what's called the ATD, which is uh, which is just a basic training on on Navy skills after boot camp, and then they go off to the um, ships, and then they find figure out what job they're going to do when they're out there. Now speaking of speaking of which, so after you get like kind of the basic training, um, that uh i believe it was the asfab where was that those were like kind of like the aptitude test to kind of see like now was it just that things that they thought you might be good at or was it something that they could maybe tell that it's like okay he may not be great at this but he's incredibly motivated to do this so maybe he might be you know i don't want to say employee retention but that it's like oh this would be something that it's like he can really sink his teeth into this maybe that might be good with that kind of like specific testing and training, how did that kind of how did that kind of work out for you? So it's it's set up in billets, if you will. They look at um, we need this many torpedo men in the Navy, um, this many at this place, those sort of things, and so they call it jobs available. Okay. <laughs> so it, it was it was a mixture. It was you know you scored this way on the ASVAB, you would be able to fit in these certain jobs. Well, we need this job, that job, and this job. So, um, and I think it's just kind of like forecasting. You know, this many people are leaving. We need this many seamen recruits going into this job here. So then they basically do it that way. Uh, in you know, it, I could have just said, no, I'll just do, you know, the ATD route, and I'll figure out what my job is later, which mm. is perfectly acceptable as well. Um I thought A school would be a better route, and I think it was right because it helped to have that basic knowledge going in. Um, as you go for rank, you have to be able to pass these tests um, based on your rate, and you know having the school ahead of you, man, that puts you that much further ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then, after you get all this training, you've yep. you figured out what, uh, or they figured out what you're gonna what you're gonna do. Yeah. Um, we did it together. Yeah. It was a group effort. <laughs> it was a team effort. Team effort. Um, you finally get to the ship that you'd serve on, uh, the USS Nimitz. And for the listeners, it's the first nuclear-powered carrier. It's a Nimitz-class ship, so you know they're taking it seriously when they name the whole <laughs> class after it. Yeah. And it's got a crew complement of over 5,000 people. This is a floating city, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. A little bit misleading. Um, so... To go back a little bit, when you pick out you pick out your your location in A school, they have the, well we need these torpedo men in these different spots, and it was um, it was, I think there was, nine of us graduating, and there was seven shore billets and two ship billets, and you get to pick by what you ranked in the class in the A school class, and. I wanted a ship because I thought everybody else wanted a ship. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, they didn't. Uh, a lot of people like the shore duty. Um, I didn't want the shore duty because, again, my adventure, the adventure in me wanted to go see the world. Yeah, I'm not that was the whole the point, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to see the world by sitting in, you know, on shore duty and, you know, um, yeah, in some city in, in the United States, stateside or anything along those lines. So I wanted a ship. Um, it got down to me. I think I was fourth in the class or something, a little third or fourth. And I was just excited because I, aircraft carrier, that sounds cool to me, right? Yeah. I thought, wow. Because <laughs> um, we all play Battleship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the biggest one. It takes five to sink a Battleship or a <laughs> carrier. So, you know, I, I, picked, uh, I picked the Nimitz. And so then I think that was maybe four weeks before graduation. Then 
<clears throat> ended up going out there. And when you see an aircraft carrier for the first time, it is, it takes your breath away. It, you you just look at, I, I can't tell you if it's it's just the grayness of it or the the size of it. I mean, you've seen it on TV. It, it just doesn't it doesn't give the the gravity of the moment when you look at the thing how large it is um and if if they used to say if you stand it up on in downtown new york city in manhattan it would show up in the skyline that's how tall, long it was it's a big big ship and it, it um it's bigger than the cruisers the cruise lines that you go on mm-hmm. um not a whole lot bigger, but it is bigger. So if you think about it that way, it is a very large ship. Um, now they say 5,286 or something like that, people on board. Well, that's with the air wing too. Okay. Um, ship's company is right around two to 3,000. Which is still fairly still, decent. Still large. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I actually, there's a guy that lives on the other block from me, and we were on the ship at the same time, but we didn't know each other. Mm. Uh, it, it's funny like that, but... Um, and so it is, it's not necessarily crowded, but there's people always around, obviously. I mean, and there's a lot of people there. There's, there's no really getting space to yourself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the lunch line is crazy. I mean, (laughs) imagine being behind all these people in line. It took an hour to go get lunch sometimes on the busy, on the busy times. You're waiting in line for an hour. You learn patience. That's what you learn. (laughs) You learn patience and, um. Or if you're going to the gym, you have to wait in line to go in the gym. Or, you know, it's like living in a big city, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, everything there's going to be a line for, and there's always people do- trying to do the same thing you are, basically. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So you started out, and uh, we talked off air a little bit. You started out as a seaman recruit, E1, mm-hmm. then to a torpedo man's mate seaman recruit. Right. And then... Um, if I'm remembering correctly, your final rank was Petty Officer Third Class. Right. Now, based on our promotions, based on the duties that you perform and how well you do them, or is it pretty much the more tests you take, the more promotions you get, or if you're really good at your job, or that you've just been there for a while? How does, especially like in something like a military where, I mean, at least in civilian life, hey, you get promoted based on doing your job really well. I would imagine the military, yes, it's because we told you to do a good, it's because we told you to do this job. We ordered <laughs> you to do this job. So you better have done it or you're going to end up in the brig. Right. Uh, how How did that kind of process, uh, how did that work for you? Well, I wish it was more of what you did, how good you were at your job, but it really isn't. It has a lot more to do with, with, what again back to the billets what's available uh how Mm -hmm. many billets are available for people and then you take a test basically in the navy so to start you start as a seaman recruit and everybody starts as a seaman recruit sometimes people get in and they get um, promoted for one reason or another that they become a full seaman or e3 when they come in or e2 um and i say seaman but that's used interjectably with there's uh Seamen, there's airmen, which deal with the airplanes. The airplane guys are all airmen. Uh, there's firemen. Those are the people that deal with um, damage control on the ship. So they're basically the same thing, same rankings. They call them seamen, firemen, and airmen. So in, in far as this is concerned, I'm just using seamen. That's what I went through, and mm. that's basically the main one, I would guess, because we're, we're on the Navy. But uh, So you start as a seaman recruit. And then six months after, I think it's six months after seaman recruit, you automatically get promoted to E2. Okay. Which is, and that happens in all the different branches of the military. Even the officers do that. Everybody gets goes up to the next level. And so then you're a, uh, so then I was a TMSA, a C, uh, Torpedo Lens Mate Seaman Apprentice. And then I, I think it was a year after that, you become uh, a full E3 seaman. Now, if the guys coming into boot camp started E3, that much further ahead obviously um and then you you sit in that rank for a year and basically it, it really doesn't matter you're all doing the same work whether you're a seaman recruit seaman apprentice seaman nobody's ordering anybody around no seaman's going over there ordering a seaman recruit well, they'll try but <laughs> it's pretty worthless yeah you know? so the petty officer in the navy is probably the first 
actual ranking you hit. And so two years in, you start taking what's called your rate exam. Oh, I, I'm not thinking straight. I'm trying to think what it is called. There's a name for it. And it basically is a test of your knowledge based on your rate. Now I'm a torpedo man's mate on an aircraft carrier, so I'm not doing a whole lot of torpedo man's work. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I have that disadvantage. I did go through the A school, so I do have some knowledge going into it. But um, depending on how you rank on that test in comparison with all the other torpedo men, third, uh, seamen going for that third class billet, that's when you, you make your rank. Um, there are other pieces that are in there. You get certain points for certain uh, awards you might have had with the Navy Achievement Medal. You get Navy Achievement Medal, you get two points. You have 4.0 on your, um, what are they? They're, uh, boy, I <laughs> can't think oh. of uh, Evaluations, excuse me. There it is. You get 4.0 on your evaluations, you get so many points, but everybody gets 4.0, so it's not really that hard to get there. Um, or those types of things will give you extra points, but by far the, the biggest factor is in how you do on this test uh, and how many billets are available on this test. Mm. So if there's more billets available, more people are gonna get in, right? So you don't have to do as well on the test. Uh, first time I took a test, I passed, got, my, um, got to be petty officer third class. I was two years into the Navy, so I had two years left. Uh, and then you wait another year before you can take the next test, next level. It's called time and rate. You have to have a long amount of time in, in your rate. And then you go on for the second class test. Well, there wasn't as many billets available. So I passed the test. I just didn't pass it enough. It's called uh, pass, not advance. So PNA is what you do on the test. Okay. So you PNA it. And so then you wait another six months before they give the test again, before you try again. Okay, so like, let's say you do really well on the test and it's like, well, you did great, but uh, we need someone who was like extra special great. Uh, you got to like, please go for the next test. Right, it exactly. isn't just like a, oh yeah, we're going to hold this on file for like the next time a vacancy oh, opens up. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, uh, you got to do it again. Uh, and it, you know, it, it, it's graded on a curve, basically. It's how everybody else does on the test okay. where, where you move up. Everybody takes the same test. It may not be on the same skills every time, so you have to study different areas of the test. But you constantly have to keep, you know, keep up with your rake, and it, it does do a good job of that. It's because, like I said, I might not be working as a torpedo man necessarily as often on a carrier, but on my next billet I will be. So yeah. it's good to have those skills still. Keep now, you know, brushed up on that. Now, if, um, and this is going to be something that. In terms of a promotion, most people, especially in, I would imagine in civilian life, the main reason they're wanting promotion is money, but some people want it for status. Some people are like, oh yes, it's going to be like this next little pin or it's this next little thing on my CV. Um, in the in the Navy, especially like for you, did you notice people or maybe in your own experience was promotion just that it's like, hey, I just want to be recognized for that I'm doing a good job and this is the main way to go about it. Or were you seeing more or maybe you experienced more that it's like, yeah, I want to outrank this guy because screw him. Or, <laughs> you know, uh, what was kind of like the motivation and especially like in your head that you're like, yeah, this isn't going to be my forever job. Uh, what would be kind of the motivation for kind of getting a promotion there? Uh, I would go with answer D, all of the above. That is absolutely correct. Uh, money is obviously going to be a factor. You make more money, the higher rank you get. Um, not a whole lot more, and you'd be surprised at how little they do get paid. I mean, there was guys on food stamps. Really? They had families. They had food. They were on food stamps in the military. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, as much mil money the military get, these guys are on food stamps? Yeah. Really? That that seems um, pretty absurd to me. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, and then there are other um, other motivating factors. Like, yeah, I want to I want to be able to you know self pride. There, there are the factors where, you know, I, yeah, I'm going to beat this guy. <laughs> it takes seven years to become a first, third class. Seriously. <laughs> um, those types of things are always a factor in it. Uh, and yeah, the, I guess the competition would, would be the push on it. Some people didn't really care. There were people that didn't care. I would say that right out. Um, they would, 
they get paid no matter what they did. You know, they get, for the one thing that's guaranteed in any military is on the first and the fifteenth, the paycheck's coming. Yeah, no matter what you did, yeah, you know, until you get thrown out, as long as you do enough not to get thrown out, you're gonna get paid. So that's where it, it becomes a bit of a misnomer when people think that well, you had to listen to what they had to say. You didn't really have to listen. Yeah, you had to be a pretty good middle manager to get them because upper management's coming at you. <laughs> and lower management's not listening to you. So you had to learn how to work with people. And that's great leadership skills. Yeah, it's kind of the, uh, what's the phrase, uh, playing the game a little bit where it's right. like, oh, you got to understand like, yep, yeah, this is how this works. This is the system, that sort of thing. Um, so you mentioned earlier, or and we've mentioned earlier that uh, especially use the words like torpedo. And when I think of torpedo, <laughs> I think of the submarine coming, you know, coming out of that shaft. On an aircraft carrier, a torpedo how exactly how does that work because like i think of like <laughs> yeah. an avenger torpedo bomber where it's like okay the torpedoes underneath the plane mm -hmm. and you drop it in and it shoots out on a submarine okay it's got the torpedo tube and it comes out shoots out does and i don't think we're going into classified information here but uh is does the torpedo come off the deck? Is, are there torpedo tubes like below the level where it's like, okay, if worst case scenario happens, torpedoes are, you know, we're just going to let them fly. How, <laughs> and, and how does that kind of work? Great question. Uh, so there are different types of torpedoes. The submarines have a larger torpedo. If you think about a torpedo, that's three feet in the diameter. Um, those are the uh, Mark 33s. Those are the bigger, ter did I get that right? I think so. Um, those are the larger um, torpedoes in a submarine. They go with all the torpedo tubes right in the water, as, as you explained. On an aircraft carrier, not many aircraft carriers have torpedo tubes. There once were. Um, a lot of the other ships do, and they're, the, uh, they're on the deck, and the torpedo actually sits inside that, and it's a smaller torpedo. If you think of like something, I think it's more like a 14 inches in diameter. Okay. So... They slide in there, um, then you have like a, a breach you put on there, and they pop up and they drop into the water and you know take out. Once they hit the salt water, that's when the battery ignites and they take off running for what you know what what they're told to go. So <clears throat> there's different types of torpedoes, and then there's the air launch torpedoes, which are the same torpedoes that can be launched from a ship. They can be launched from an S3 Viking or um, some of the helos can drop uh, torpedoes as well. So on an aircraft carrier, they're mainly there for, um, well, they're, they're all there for actually, for the air launch torpedoes. Uh, funny thing is, and then they have to be banded, which means they have to have like a strap to hook them up to the carrier. And that was one of the trainings we had to do is we had to learn how to band them really well. Now, and this is something that especially like when I think of an aircraft carrier, I just think of like, I mean, when I brought up like Floating City earlier, yeah. just, you know, when you think of the size of it and like, especially being on like cruise ships where it's like these things are like, you know, fairly, you know, fairly large, you know, pieces of equipment. Right. Uh, in in particular like with dealing with torpedoes like that was kind of your main but like in terms of like your other duties that pretty much like what is a day in the life for someone who's on like this giant thing <laughs> that's in the middle of the ocean like was it was it pretty much that it's like okay you have like these three duties and then there's like these 20 other things that we have you doing if you need it or like how did it you know i think it's Medtronic that says like a day in the life. What is a day in the life for someone on service like you who served on an aircraft carrier? Well, let me tell you both. There, there's two different ways of looking at it. One is when you're on shore, it becomes like a nine to five job. Basically, we would go in um, five days a week unless we had duty. So everybody had a duty section and it was broken out by five. If you were on duty, you stayed on board the ship for 24 hours and that just meant that you were available or on the ship for sure if they had to go out for whatever reason in an emergency they had enough people there to actually run the ship take it off and, and you know take care of things um so everybody had a duty section and uh otherwise you were working basically from 8 a.m till 5 p.m or whatever um with the lunch and it was, it was just like a regular work day and you would go doing things where, where you're rehabbing or or taking care of um, 
like we did sprinkler systems, magazine sprinkler systems. So we had to do, you know, the regular duties on those to make sure that they were working properly and mm. those types of things. Uh, and then when we're out, then you would be off for the rest of the day. You'd come in the next morning at 8 a.m., driving to work, whatever. And then most of the time, you'd be off for the weekend unless you had duty. And then you would spend the weekend on the ship, basically. When we were out to sea, it's a little bit different because you're there. You're stuck. Yeah. And then it's it's 12 on, 12 off, basically. And there are usually two crews to the different divisions. You know, everybody would have like a day shift and a night shift of some sort or another. Um, and you would be working 12 hours doing those things that you usually do. Sometimes it seemed like they were, and sometimes it was true as, you know, I got into the little management of it. You're just trying to find things for them to do <laughs> <laughs> to make sure it worked. Everything was working properly and they, you know, they were staying, staying ready. But the second 12 hours when you were off, you could do things like you would, could, go up and go to the workout at the gym or you could watch movies the movies are playing constantly on the ship's tv this is i mean we're talking pre-internet here pre-computers to a, a larger extent if you will so tvs were pre and we're talking the big crt tvs that are hanging yeah. from the wall <laughs> that you you, know, you can watch movies and the you know people played cards um there was a couple of stores on the ship where you could you know get candy whatever people meet up hangouts um when when we were out to see we did have the air wing we were going back and forth from san diego they would have uh basketball hoops up on the um in the hangar bay where you could play basketball which is kind of cool or um there was there was guys you know we're, we're talking across the country here rodeo guys that were practicing their ropes and <laughs> you run into interesting people because you know we're looking nationwide here mm -hmm. um, all kinds of different folks throughout the nation uh, yeah so the, you figure out things to do you could go read go you know there's all kinds of things people did but you know those 12 hours are yours and of course you might want to sleep in that time frame as well because you gotta get up the next morning and start working again Whenever I think I can just wrap up a conversation in under an hour, I find a way to make it not happen. It's just not my style. The next part of our interview with Chris John will be out in two weeks. See you then. Hi everyone. Thank you for listening to Historical Diversions. If you enjoyed this episode, your feedback would be greatly appreciated. Five-star reviews, positive comments, even just telling your friends about us helps. We're on social media, Twitter, Facebook, etc. But the mothership is historicaldiversions.com. You can find show notes, ways to support, and other fun info on there. Thanks again for listening. This podcast was written and produced by your host through Historical Diversions, LLC. Any other rights belong to their respective owners.